We live in a time of exceeding faithlessness. This is not something we see just in the world. We see it among the people of God as well. We see it among conservative Christians. We see it in our fear of the coronavirus. We see it in the displays of lewdness and sexual morality in public and in our legal system. We murder our children. Women divorce their husbands. We slander each other. We bear false witness all the time. We talk about love and we have no idea what it means. We talk about God and we don't know who he is. The difference between the world and the people of God is marginal. When it comes to faith and love especially, conservative Christians continue to demonstrate their faithlessness and their disordered love. They love their families and social life more than God. They do not trust the word of God, which reveals their faithlessness. God's word tells us that divorce and remarriage is adultery, for example. But we don't believe this. We don't trust God here, God's word tells us not to fellowship with those who are sexually immoral. We don't trust that these instructions, these social distancing commands by God are important enough to follow. We don't trust that this course of action that he has commanded us will be blessed by him. We don't have faith enough to believe him, and so we just don't do it. We continue to break bread with those who have broken covenant, and we partake of their sins when we do that. And this reveals our faithlessness. But Abraham here, he shows us what properly ordered love and faith in God, true faith in God, looks like. And it is my prayer that Abraham's example will show us how to repent of our faithlessness and our disordered love. Next few weeks, we'll be going over this passage in different aspects. Today, we're going to be focusing on Abraham. Uh, Abrahamic faith. This passage, in summary, is the climactic episode of Abraham's life. It's the ultimate testing of his faith to sacrifice the promised child, the one he waited 25 years to receive, the one he tried to create it on his own through Eleazar of Damascus, who was uh, going to receive uh, Abraham's inheritance. And then we saw it later through Ishmael. In summary, Abraham's faith is tested by the Lord here in having to give up his only son, who he receives back. And then after this, God reaffirms the covenantal promises he had uh, given to Abraham. Abraham's faith is in full bloom here. We see uh, Isaac as the culmination of certain promises, uh, and they received Isaac, and then God asks Abraham to give up Isaac. We also see Sarah's faith in full bloom. Uh, when we talked about her, what happened a few weeks ago with her, she gave birth to Isaac, right? Well, Paul, he tells us that she was able to give birth to Isaac through faith, that God gave her the ability to have Isaac by faith. He says this to the Hebrews, by faith, Sarah herself also received the strength to conceive seed and she bore a child when she was past the age because she judged him faithful who had promised. Hebrews 11, 11. So we see faith in full bloom. By faith, she conceived Isaac. And then here, by faith, we see Abraham giving up Isaac. Faith in full bloom has the ability to conquer kingdoms. It has the ability to endure martyrdom. It has the ability to heal the sick 
and it resurrects the dead. And for Sarah, this faith in Yahweh God was the instrument God used to give her strength to conceive the seed Isaac through whom Jesus eventually came. Sarah's life was difficult and extraordinary, and faith in God is the means by which she accomplished the fantastic and the hilariously unbelievable. Belief believes the unbelievable. Abrahamic faith believes the unbelievable and gives the ability to do the extraordinary. So let us take a look at the, what the Word of God teaches us in, in our passage here about the, about the faith of Abraham. In verse 1, God calls to Abraham. And what does Abraham do? He responds. God speaks, and then Abraham speaks. Faith is responsive to the Word of God. It knows the voice of God. The faithful seek to present themselves to God when God calls on them. Here I am. Abraham says, faith doesn't run away like Jonah. It doesn't ignore like King Saul. It stands at the ready waiting to receive instructions. It engages in conversation with God. In other words, faith prays. The faithful are prayerful people. And this can be a fearful thing. This is going to be a terrifying thing because God may say something you don't want to hear. So prayerful faith has to overcome fear. It has to be ready to go places and to do things that are hard. And so Abraham's responsiveness fosters these fearful words from the Lord. And what does the Lord say? He says, take now your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. And go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Listen to the way God describes Isaac. God knows that Abraham loves Isaac. What does he say? He says, your son, your only son, whom you love. It's this threefold description or affirmation of the sacrifice God is asking of Abraham. We saw this earlier in Genesis 12. God asks Abraham to give up his home, to leave Haran. And he describes it in a similar way. In Genesis 12, get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house, house to a land that I will show you. It's a three, and so he's asking him to give up something, and he describes it in this threefold manner. Almost like God indicating, I know what I'm asking you to give up here, describing it in this multifaceted way. Take now your son, your only son, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah. Now, we're not told that Abraham loved his family and his, his homeland, but we can safely assume, I think, it's reasonable to assume that he does, that that was a real sacrifice that God asked of him. But we do know that Abraham loved Isaac. We're explicitly told this, that this son is precious to him, and God calls on Abraham to give him up. This is something especially for Christian rulers, for, for pastors and priests to take notice of. Look how God pastors Abraham. God's word laid what appeared to us to be a heavy burden on Abraham. God's word uh, is laying something that in other situations we would say is too difficult for anyone to bear. I think most pastors now would say this. 
They would say a Gospel Coalition article might describe God here as being pastorally insensitive. He wasn't being gentle. He wasn't being comforting. And that's the general feel that we get from our leaders today, that pastors come to the point where they think it's their job to withhold crosses and lawful burdens from their people. But we're no longer good shepherds if we have deprived the people of exercising extraordinary feats of faith. Faith. We have removed the way in which God brings people into the kingdom. Paul and Barnabas, we are told, strengthen the souls of the disciples by encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying to them, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. But our pastors have decided to encourage the disciples by speaking soft and sweet words to them. Soft words that proceed from hard hearts. Our pastors have assumed that they know better than God, that they are more compassionate than God. That their role as a shepherd is to minimize suffering as much as possible. And all of this culminates in torturing and twisting the word of God so that their congregates can believe that they're obeying the word of God without actually obeying it. But one cannot be more compassionate than God. One cannot be more gentle than God. One cannot be more loving and pastoral than God. So pastors, if you're watching this, stop withholding crosses from your people. You are stunting their ability to exercise the faith of our father Abraham. You are withholding from them God's means of maturing them and exhibiting their faith. We live in this infantilizing culture because pastors have infantilized the church. They never give them the opportunity to mature, to exercise these, these extraordinary feats that are only done by trusting in the word of God. So we need to move on to maturity, and we do that by trusting in God. By, for pastors, not withholding crosses, not withholding burdens that come from God, and for, for all of us, by accepting those burdens and trusting that God will be able to carry us through. In verse 3, Abraham responds promptly, immediately, he gets up early in the morning to leave, we're told. And so we see that faith is obedient. Faith doesn't drag its feet. Delayed obedience is still disobedience, but faith doesn't delay. It goes. Furthermore, faith rightly orders our love. Abraham loves his son, his only son, as, as God said. Yet his love for the father is primary. His love for the father is first because he trusts his father. And this doesn't diminish his love for his son. It rightly orders it. It increases it. He shows his love for his son by loving the father first. He would be despising Isaac if he was to refuse to withhold sacrificing him. It's a weird kind of irony. It's a weird counterintuitive uh, move there. But he would be teaching his son unbelief if he had withheld his son from God. And that's not what Abraham does. And so we can take from this that we cannot rightly love our children if we do not love the Lord first and foremost. We cannot love our neighbor if we do not love God first and foremost. We can only do this if we believe that God is who he says he is and trust in his word with our whole heart. In verse 5, we see that Abraham, he leaves the other two men traveling with him and he tells them to stay put and that both of 
both him and Isaac would return to them. He's not lying to them. He's not concealing the nature of his intentions to them. At least that's not how I take it. I take this as a statement of faith. That he knew that even if he were to sacrifice Isaac, that God would bring him back from the dead. Am I speculating here? No. Paul tells us this in his letter to the Hebrews. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, In Isaac your seed shall be called. Concluding that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative sense. So true faith, Abrahamic faith, It takes multiple things that God has said, and it believes all of them. In this sense, we see that faith is logical. It's also extra logical in a sense. It transcends logic and creates this kind of new logic. God said, through Isaac, the seed would come. And then God said, sacrifice Isaac. What does Abraham conclude? Okay, I believe both of these things. Both of these things are going to happen. Well, what does that reveal to Abraham? It reveals to him the truth of resurrection life. He says, even if he gets sacrificed, God said this is where it's going to come from. So God's going to bring him back from the dead. It's this way Abraham is being a good theologian. That's what systematic theologians do. It takes different things in the Bible and it tries to come up with some, some synthesized conclusion. And that can be done in a good way. Abraham is showing us how to do this in a right way. Paul says he concluded he would bring him back from the dead. And so this statement, stay here, both of us will return. Abraham has the confidence of faith, this extra logical faith of both him and Isaac returning. So faith in the word of God transcends the carnal knowledge that most Christians operate with today. It exceeds our normal understanding. It isn't bound by the usual course of human life and existence. It is extraordinary. And extraordinary acts, which God will call all his faith, calls all of his faithful to, will often look like hate to the world. It will look like insanity to the world. It will look like lunacy to the world. Abraham sacrificing his son looks just as insane as excommunicating those who are divorced and remarried, who are so-called faithful Christians. And we are saying, you need to separate and you need to remain single. (laughs) What? You have to remain. Yes, you have been made a eunuch for the kingdom. It looks just as sane as saying that the entire church is in heresy and led by fools. It looks just as insane as gathering together in this apartment and worshiping God. (laughs) It looks like hate, but it's animated by love. Because love believes all things, it hopes all things, it endures all things. Even when those things appear unendurable. God gives us the ability to endure. Blessed are you when others call you bitter, hateful, and sociopaths falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. We also see that Abraham's faith is justifying. It justifies him. 
It puts him in right standing with God. It evidenced his right standing before God. His justifying faith, faith manifests in obedience. It is a faith that works. In some sense, James tells us that those works justified him. In James 2, he says, Do you want to know, O foolish man? Notice James is calling these Christians fools. <laughs> that faith without works is dead. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works? Faith and works together. And by works, faith was made perfect. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. You see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. Likewise, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. Now, if we take all of Scripture into consideration, there have been Reformed systematic theologians who have rightly said, I would, I would affirm with them, and I think most people would, that Jesus is the ground of our justification and that faith is the instrument of our justification, making these fine distinctions. In other words, we are saved solely by the graciousness of Christ and his sacrifice and resurrection for us, but that Abrahamic belief of, of working out our faith is the way in which Christ confers his righteousness to us. It manifests that belief in him. It manifests that justification. We live in a world that thinks that faith is just acknowledging that God exists, right? Chris Pratt said we need to think about God more. Everybody goes wild because Justin Bieber believes in God. I have faith in God. That is, that, that's not what faith is. It's not Abrahamic faith. I believe that God exists, right? James says uh, the demons believe and sh shudder. There's a demonic kind of faith that people can have. That faith, the faith of demons, it saves nobody. Abraham's faith is a faith that believes and works. It manifests in obedience. It is a faith that trusts in God's word, but it also obeys God's word. Those things can't be uh, separated. Yet among the people of God, we see an extraordinary lack of Abrahamic faith. The people of God don't consider obedience an important thing. It's a light thing. In fact, you're castigated as being a Pharisee if you say that you need to obey or that's works righteousness, as if we're still in the late Middle Ages and we're thinking that people need to work their way to heaven. Just this refrain for antinomianism and lawlessness, right? They don't trust Yahweh, and so their daughters are sexually immoral. Their sons are interested in God, only insofar as God is an interesting philosophical word game that they can play with. Charismatics are interested in God only insofar as it gives him an emotional high and the chord progression is just right and the ambiance is just right. And, and they have some kind of uh, therapeutic uh, self-help motivational speaker with a dash of God thrown in so that you can overcome the hardships at work. Right. 
this is not the kind of atmosphere that's going to produce sons of Abraham and, so, and daughters of Abraham. The church has really failed to produce this kind of Abrahamic faith. So we need to return to that. We need to look to Abraham and see what he was doing here. The faith of Abraham hears, it does. And so we need to repent of our faithlessness. We need to be like Abraham. And may we live out our faith with works of love, which means a willingness to sacrifice the things that we love. Sacrifice the people that we love. If, it's, if they are in conflict with the word of God, if God asks us to give them up, we need to be able to leave our father's household. We need to be able to dedicate our children. Give up anything that God asks you to give up. And by doing this, we make God our God. We exercise Abrahamic faith. We trust in him. We praise him. We do all these things with our entire heart. So let's pray. The charge is this. Believe. Believe God's word like Abraham. Hear the word of God and do the word of God like Abraham. By doing so, you will be justified. You will be saved. You will be provided for. You will be made a son of Abraham. Make yourself present to God. When God says your name, when he speaks to you, say, here I am. James says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Our God is the God of the extraordinary. He is able to do far more than we could ever ask for or imagine. He does everything by his power that is working in us. And he does these things by Abrahamic faith. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And amen.